0: They carry AAPI-owned and founded brands like Live Tinted, Peach & Lily, Glamnetic, Tree Hut, and more. Shop AAPI-owned and founded brands at Ulta Beauty Stores and Ulta.com.
1: It's Friday, December 18th. I'm Akilah Hughes.
2: And I'm Gideon Resnick, and this is what, a day where we have determined that all snowflakes are liberal snowflakes.
1: Yeah, we interviewed some snowflakes, and before they melted, they told us that they support good social programs, no war, the Green New Deal, a bunch of stuff.
2: Yeah, they kept wanting to talk about Walter Mondale, which felt dated to me, but, you know, I'll, I'll let it be.
1: announcement before we get started this is going to be our last episode of the year and what a year see what i did uh, mm-hmm. it has been so we've had the overlapping crises of the pandemic and systemic racism with a historic push to end police violence it's impossible to sum it up but we're going to try to put the focus on those two issues today and then we'll be back next year with more news starting on monday january 4th
2: yes more news stay tuned <laughs> Uh, but on today's show, we've got a conversation with Congressman Ro Khanna about the pandemic relief bill, then some headlines.
1: So let's start with the latest. A panel of experts voted in favor of authorizing the Moderna vaccine yesterday, paving the way for the FDA to formally do that today, which would mean more doses on the way soon. And that news comes as daily deaths have been reaching staggering records this week, clearing 3,500 people, a new case record exceeding 245,000, and many hospitals continue to be overwhelmed, with Southern California reporting zero remaining ICU capacity. When it comes to the response, as of yesterday evening, congressional leaders were still putting together the final pieces of an emerging deal on coronavirus relief, but it quickly started to look like the conversations could continue into the weekend. By the time you hear this, maybe things that will have changed or maybe we'll be stuck right here where we are.
2: Yeah, uh, it could be either, but I think... I think I have a guess which one it's going to be. Okay. Yeah. Um. Finally, to round out the busy week in D.C., President-elect Biden has announced Congresswoman Deb Holland, a supporter of the Green New Deal, as his nominee to lead the Interior Department, which would make her the first Native American to lead a cabinet-level agency and one that has played a critical role in the nation's abuse of indigenous communities. Michael Regan, North Carolina's environment secretary and a former EPA official, has also been selected to run the EPA, which would make him the first Black man to have that job. Mm-hmm. They are both part of a broader climate team, which has promised to prioritize environmental justice. And in the middle of all of this, we spoke with Congressman Ro Khanna yesterday afternoon about the relief bill, why he's pushing for more direct payments, and what he thinks of the names being added to the incoming Biden administration. Here's that conversation.
1: Congressman Khanna, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. Thank you, Akila. All right, so let's start with the relief bill. You know, this deal is coming after months and months of negotiations, with a lot of economic damage done while it was dragged out. You know, unemployment numbers are going up again; poverty numbers are also up. Are you happy with where things are ending up now that we're getting to a deal finally?
3: No, uh, the 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 number was much bigger back in October, one point eight trillion, and we're down now to nine hundred billion. We're down from uh, a twelve hundred dollar. Uh, checks to people to $600. Uh, Mm -hmm. We've lost uh, state and local aid. We've uh, uh, had less in terms of unemployment insurance. So Obviously, it's something, and I'm glad that the Progressive Caucus and Senator Sanders insisted on having monthly checks, but if you say, Mm -hmm. am I happy? Uh, No, it's uh, only inadequate, uh, and we're losing in the negotiations.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you mentioned the stimulus check. You were lobbying for $2,000 for that and other provisions too. I mean, what do you think is most important that's actually missing from this deal? Is it the bigger payments?
3: There are two things. It's the uh, payments to, to 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 people. I mean, every other Western democracy is uh, giving people compensation because if we're saying you can't work, you can't go out, we have to have some means of compensating people so they can right. pay the bills, so they, they uh, can pay the mortgage or the rent, so they can put food on the table and then the unemployment insurance is wholly inadequate and that's we we know that's what created consumer demand it saved the economy it saved people from a, a devastating fate and so those two parts are uh, really uh, uh lacking
2: right yeah. and you mentioned this um you alluded to this earlier that there was this conversation about the 1.8 trillion i think back in october it's hard to keep track of all the back and forth yeah um, yeah. And we know how McConnell has operated in these negotiations. I think that that's kind of right. a given when people approach them. But do you ascribe blame to Democrats for not taking that October deal and any other prior deals?
3: Well, I don't ascribe blame. I had, as you, you know, getting come out and said we should take the deal and uh, we, we should put the ball squarely in McConnell's court. I think by not doing that, uh, it obfuscated the issue and it was difficult to uh, highlight how much of a f- obstruction miss McConnell has really been. Now we had said uh, yes we'll, we'll agree to 1.8 trillion 1.9 trillion uh, get McConnell to vote for it. It would have become clear uh, that we would have been able to call his bluff. maybe he, he wouldn't have voted for that kind of a, a package. So uh, I definitely think we should have indicated back then a willingness to do it and may have locked them into that number as well.
2: And I also want to ask about the incoming Biden administration while we have you. Congresswoman Ocasio-Cortez noted recently that a lot of the appointments are former Obama appointments, and perhaps signaling that there hasn't been too much of a forward-looking approach just yet. That comment, of course, was before the announcement today about Congresswoman Holland, which I think a lot of people, her included, are yeah. very, very excited very inspired about. Yeah.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. So, what have you made of, of the selections overall so far?
3: Well, it's a, ba- it's a balance. Look, there, there are people who were very good during the Obama administration as well. Let's not forget, I mean, mm-hmm. Gene Sperling fought for expansion of the earned income tax credit. Jared Bernstein fought for uh, expanding labor rights. So it, it's always a balance between having people who have served and then having new voices. And uh, that balance, it t- tilts towards experience at the beginning of an administration. And uh, mm-hmm. then uh, you have newer voices come in after a year or two years. So I'm uh, less concerned about... The details of appointments, which are usually a president's prerogative, I'm more concerned about our policy agenda. Are we going to make sure we're forgiving student loans right off uh, the bat? Are we going to make sure that we're really pushing for uh, monthly checks? Are we going to make sure that we have a broad stimulus, uh, I mean, broad infrastructure bill, a $15 minimum wage that we're pushing to, to make sure that that is a part of the agenda? Uh, the expanding healthcare. I mean, I for Medicare yeah. for all. But what are we doing concretely? Those are the questions I'm more interested in than who's going to be under secretary of X.
2: Right, right. I think that's a good perspective on it. Um, for sure. One last one for me on the political front. So in California, Governor Newsom, as we know, has a lot of open positions in the state right now, including that right. open Senate seat to fill uh, Vice President-elect Harris's position. Who would you like to see in these roles? And we have to ask you, would you take that Senate position if you were asked?
3: Well, I'm obviously honored to be uh, in the mix and 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 would be honored to uh, serve uh, the state. I love representing Silicon Valley. It'd be, a, it'd be an honor to uh, serve California. But I, I think many people would feel that way. And my bigger issue is that it should be a bold progressive, someone who's for Medicare for all, someone who's against endless wars, someone who's for fifteen dollars minimum wage, someone who's for free public college. There are a number of people who are being considered who fit those uh, criteria. So I, I, I hope he will select uh, someone uh, of that uh, disposition.
1: Yeah, I mean, we're rooting for you. You know, <laughs> you fit it does, all those, it those those qualifications. <laughs> Oh my well, I goodness. appreciate that, well,
3: but, but I, and I and there are a couple others, but I, there, there are a number of people he's considering who don't uh, share those values, uh, and, and that, I think, is the, the key issue. I mean, is California going to be leading on bold, progressive policies or not?
1: Right. I mean, we better be. <laughs> Come on. Well, this is our last show of the year, and we're reflecting on the year we've had, which, I mean, I can't speak for everybody, but I feel like it was a pretty long one, yeah? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, wow. But really, you know, we want to talk about these major crises that have come to the forefront, including racial violence and policing. So I'm really curious, you know, what actions do you want to see the new Biden administration take to hold police accountable and get justice for all of those families for so many people who are killed outright for no reason by the police?
3: Well, we need to, at the minimum, start with the uh, Justice in Policing Act that Karen Bass Mm -hmm. has led, which calls for changing the standard of force. California has done that. Force should be a last- resort only when absolutely necessary. That's the standard in uh, most other democracies. In our country, we still have the William Rehnquist standard that (laughs) police officers can use force whenever they think it's reasonable by their perception. And that led to Tamir Rice and other uh, horrific uh, uh, killings. So uh, that is uh, the first thing, eliminate chokeholds, eliminate qualified immunity. Uh, And then uh, we need to go beyond that with Black Lives Matter and recognize that It's not just about uh, reforming police violence, as important as that is. It's also about thinking what each of us are doing uh, to uh, make sure that Black communities are part of the wealth generation and economic Mm -hmm. opportunity of the 21st century. In my district, in Silicon Valley, there's been so much exclusion. And it's frankly easy for tech leaders to applaud Black Lives Matter's marches in Washington or in Minnesota or Wisconsin and Uh, And think they've done enough, but that's not enough. What are we doing to increase recruiting? What are we doing to increase people on boards? What are we doing to increase venture capital going to young uh, black and Latino uh, entrepreneurs? These are all part of the question of when we say black lives matter, the racial wealth gap in this country has increased over the last three decades. I mean, think about that. It's, it's really shocking that you've ended formal segregation, you've ended formal Jim Crow, and yet uh, black wealth is lower 30 years later uh, than it was during the, the, before the 1960s. That should be a sobering statistic, and it re- really requires systemic reform.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, it's just, it is absolutely unbelievable, and <laughs> it, it's senseless. But... You know, I guess we want to end on a kind of high note if we can, you know, <laughs> even if it's a medium note, we will have done our jobs. But what makes you a little bit hopeful going into next year after the kind of year that we've had and the major challenges that we've been facing?
3: Well, what gives me hope is uh, the, the fundamental decency of this country that uh, we did reject Donald Trump. We voted for uh, <laughs> Joe Biden and, and, and Kamala Harris, uh, uh, the first uh, woman right. vice president, the first uh, uh, African-American vice president, the uh, uh, Asian-American vice president. Mm-hmm. Uh, what gives me hope is all these young, new members of Congress who come from such diverse background. I mean, you think about our politics, and it's uh, it, it's amazing that in a few years, this country has produced Barack Obama, Donald Trump, and uh, <laughs> Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez as national figures. Yeah. How How is that and and I think about it and I say what we're trying to do is very hard. we're trying to become a multiracial multi-ethnic democracy of equality. It's never been done in the world and we have historical injustices such as slavery and racism uh, to overcome. So it's a hard project but the next generation gives me hope and and that uh, generation soon enough will be leading and uh, and, and uh, I think uh, uh, in some ways biden Harris is a harbinger of, of things to come.
1: Oh, that's so wonderful. That (laughs) is exactly what I needed to hear. Well, Congressman Khanna, thank you so, so much for talking to us. We really appreciate it.
3: Thank you. Happy New Year. Happy Holidays.
2: Thank you. Yeah. Stay safe during all of this.
3: That was California Congressman Ro
1: Khanna, and that's the latest. It's Friday Wad Squad, and for today's Temp Check, we're doing something a little bit different. We're going to look back at some of the conversations we've had with activists, journalists, and elected officials this year in the wake of the largest racial justice uprising since the 60s. The largest ever, actually. As we look forward to a new year, a new presidential administration, and new possibilities, we wanted to remind you how we got here.
0: What's happening in this moment isn't divorced from the civil rights movement, but I would argue it's actually part of the civil rights movement. And so we have to Always remember that when we gain rights, the key is to actually hold on to them and never uh, lose them, to fight to make sure we never lose them. A man literally died in front of our eyes calling for his mother and created this uprising. We don't call it that, but it is an uprising in our country. And these are folks from different backgrounds. Creed are saying enough.
4: I think that this has been a powerful time for folks to reflect on how white supremacy still operates in our society on all levels. You know, even beyond police brutality, we're seeing folks have conversations about the workplace, about the publishing Mm -hmm. industry, uh, about their own lives. I'm so happy for all of of it that's happening online. Mm -hmm. I remember, like, The first week of the uprising, um, the You About to Lose Your Job song came out. Yes. Like, that was like perfect. (laughs) Shout out to I. Marquise, and um, Suede, the remix guy. Yes. Like, that was the anthem of the revolution. Mm -hmm. Like, we even use it in all of our, like, in our march, our, like, thousand person march. It was amazing.
5: The the defunding conversation and, and really, Getting clarity and getting much more clear on what that looks like, you know, people hear defunding of of the police. If you have a particular class, you know, you're you're afraid of that because the police, quote unquote, allow you to protect your property. But if you live in historically disenfranchised communities and and you, and you live in poverty, you feel occupied by the police, uh, either physically or psychologically.
0: Really, the principle here is that show me your budget and I'll show you your priorities, right? And when you fund policing and law enforcement at the expense of resources for homeless people, resources for mental health, education, parks, after school programs, social services, then what you get is, you know, you get what you pay for, right? You get um, a bloated police department. You get a police department that is kind of tasked with solving all these social ills. And so the answer is to shift the funds.
4: I think it will also cause some of our Congress members to look at what they're doing in their own communities, because some have been there so long, to say, well, you know what, let me do a self-check, you know, and and I can course correct. Because we're not saying just throw everybody out and let, I, at least I'm not personally. I'm just saying, let's just take care of our district. So if you need to course correct, none of us are infallible. You know, let's just fix it and do better.
5: We're not going to stop doing public safety, right? Right. You know, human Human beings have not ceased to have a, have a darker side, you know, but, but, but what we are going to do is set it on a new set of principles where safety and security is the primary, not domination. If you've ever wondered like what you would do during the civil rights movement, like, well, you have your answer. It is now it's like what, like whatever you're doing right now is what you would have done then. Um, And I think, I I don't know, I I hope a lot of people realize that. Like, I hope that people understand that this is like, this is a historical moment that we're living through. And the things that you do and the the records that you leave and the trail that you leave are going to be poured over by other people. Like, they're going to know what
2: you did. That was Dr. Keisha Blaine, Representative Rashida Tlaib, Activist Raquel Willis, Activist Oluchi Omioga, Representative-elect Jamal Bowman, Journalist Josie Duffy Rice, Representative-elect Corey Bush, uh, Minnesota Attorney General Keith Ellison, and Journalist Bijan Steven.
1: Thanks to Charlotte Landis for putting that together. And thanks to everyone who made their voices heard this year and all of those who've organized for generations. And now for some ads.
0: What a Day is brought to you by Monarch Money. Are you saving for a down payment, a wedding, a dream vacation? Monarch makes it easy to help you reach your financial goals. Monarch is the top rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all of your accounts, your investments, transactions, and more all in one place. You can create custom budgets, track your progress towards financial goals, and collaborate with your partner. really just makes it easy. After trying out Monarch for yourself, you'll understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, listeners of this show will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com/wad. That's m-o-n-a-r-c-h-m-o-n-e-y.com/wad for your extended 30-day free trial. What a day is brought to you by Fast Growing Trees. Fast Growing Trees is the biggest online nursery in the U.S. with more than 10,000 different kinds of plants and over 2 million happy customers. Let's wrap up with some headlines.
1: Headlines.
2: And we're going to stay on the issue of policing through today's headline section. To start, Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot apologized yesterday for the botched raid on the home of Anjanette Young and her office's efforts to keep the case from going public. Young is a 50-year-old hospital social worker who was in her apartment in 2019 when nearly a dozen police officers entered with weapons drawn. They were acting on a tip from an informant who said a suspect of theirs lived at Young's address. That man actually lived nearby, which is information the cops had access to but failed to confirm. In footage captured by body cameras, Young stood naked and handcuffed for more than 30 minutes as she told officers repeatedly they were at the wrong place. As part of a lawsuit against the city, Young obtained that footage, and it was set to air on a CBS news station on Monday, but city lawyers filed a motion to stop it from being aired and also moved to sanction Young for allegedly violating a confidentiality order. The footage aired anyway, and now Mayor Lightfoot says Young shouldn't be punished for trying to tell her story. Meanwhile, in Columbus, Ohio, hundreds of protesters gathered this weekend in remembrance of Casey Goodson, a black man who was shot and killed when he was entering his grandmother's home earlier this month. Activists and Goodson's family members called for the sheriff's deputy who shot him to be arrested and for a more transparent investigation.
1: Two peer-reviewed studies published this Monday have concluded that a federal program to pass billions of dollars of excess military equipment to police departments hasn't decreased crime or increased police safety. The Law Enforcement Support Office 1033 program was established in 1990 and broadened in 1997 in the heat of the disastrous war on drugs. It was rolled back in a largely symbolic way under Obama following activism in Ferguson and was expanded again under Trump in 2017. Through all that, researchers found that the crime rates of police departments weren't tied to the gear that they received, much of which went unused. Plus, critics have suggested that military gear among officers promotes a warrior mentality of policing rather than a guardian approach. The United Nations panel recently issued a warning about the technological arsenals of police. They said that algorithm-based technologies that are used in law enforcement could reinforce racial bias and abuse, especially when they draw on biased data, like historical arrest data about a neighborhood that has historically been subject to racist policing. Mm -hmm. Police departments should emphasize transparency in sharing which technologies they use, the UN panel said, and in the design and applications of law enforcement algorithms.
2: Makes sense. Police brutality might feel uniquely American, but it is actually not. Every weekend since November 21st, there have been huge protests in France against a police security bill. The law is called Article 24, and it initially would have made it illegal for French people to publish photos or videos of on-duty police officers, quote, with the aim of harming their physical or psychological integrity. Not sure how a judge could prove that, but if one did, violators of the law would have faced fines of more than $50,000 and up to a year in prison. French President Macron supported the law because he said it was needed to protect officers and their families from online abuse. But in response to protests, the head of Macron's party announced that the law will be completely rewritten. Demonstrations have continued because it's still not clear what the final version of the law will be. Also motivating the protests was the police assault of a 41-year-old black music producer in the lobby of his own music studio. Video of the beating contradicted the officer's recollection of the events. Michelle Zeckler, the producer, believes he'd be in jail if the video hadn't been released, and critics of Article 24 think that's the whole point. They also point out that online harassment is already illegal in France, which pretty much proves Article 24 has no raison d'etre.
1: Mm-hmm. Tamika Palmer, mother of Breonna Taylor, who was killed by Louisville police, took out a full-page color ad in the Washington Post this Tuesday, demanding that President-elect Joe Biden's administration take real, tangible action in holding police accountable across the nation. The letter calls on Biden to keep the promises that let him secure the black vote by appointing individuals committed to police accountability to the Department of Justice, ordering the DOJ to reopen investigations into police violence not properly completed before the end of the Obama administration, ordering large-scale federal investigations into police brutality, including a probe for Breonna Taylor's case, and stopping police brutality before it happens by investigating all police departments that have been known to cause harm across the country. So all police departments. The administration is signaling that this is something they do truly care about already. A new bill from Virginia's Rep Don Beyer, who is the incoming chair of the U.S. Congress Joint Economic Committee, seeks to create a publicly accessible federal database that would track police misconduct allegations and settlements paid to resolve them at both the state and federal levels. Beyer thinks his Cost of Police Misconduct Act would shine light on the financial toll of abusive policing and thereby create public pressure on police to shape up, though activists have noted that this pressure already exists and more radical reforms will be needed to bring about real change
2: yes indeed
1: and those are the headlines
2: one last thing before we go crooked just released a new pod in collaboration with tenderfoot tv it is called gaining ground the new georgia it's hosted by atlanta natives jewel wicker and rembert brown and we'll be telling the story of the massively important georgia runoff happening in january
1: Jewel and Rimbert are going to be reporting from the ground in Georgia, telling the story of how we got to this moment and spotlighting the organizers, strategists and voters hoping to change the South forever. Episode one is out now, so go check it out and subscribe to Gaining Ground, the new Georgia, wherever you get your podcasts.
2: That's all for today. If you like the show, make sure you subscribe, leave a review, chug that hot chocolate and tell your friends to listen.
1: And if you're into reading and not just Santa's list of nice wad squatters like me, What a Day is also a nightly newsletter. Check it out and subscribe at com slash subscribe. I'm Akila Hughes.
2: I'm Gideon Resnick. And, and we'll see, see you all next, all next year. year.
1: You'll at least hear us. I'd yeah. like to see you next year, though. <laughs> Hopefully we cool. can get out of here.
2: It would be nice if we could hang out safely, but we'll see. <laughs> One step at a time.
1: What a Day is a production of Crooked Media.
2: It's recorded and mixed by Charlotte Landis.
1: Sonia Tun is our assistant producer.
2: Our head writer is John Milstein, and our executive producers are Katie Long, Akilah Hughes, and me.
1: Our theme music is by Colin Gilliard and Kashaka.